Now, I know that it's a holiday weekend, but I have a question because I think there are probably some college students who are getting started. And I know I said goodbye to my college student yesterday, our little girl. We put on a plane to go to Indiana for her third year of college. And so, uh, so we're sad to see a lot of our college students getting ready to go or have already gone. But we wonder today, do we have any college students who are visiting with us and in town? Do you raise your hand up high? Would you, would you, would you, would you? Yay, yay, we're so glad you're here. Excellent, know that you are welcome here. Bring some friends and we'd love to connect with you this fall. And also with that fall kickoff, next week we're gonna start our connected series, as Mark just said, on the announcements. And, uh, and Peter Moore, our district superintendent, is gonna be here. And he is going to officially install me as the lead pastor here. I don't know what I've been doing the last two months, uh, but, uh, but and so that's going to be uh, next week, and we're looking forward to a great start. And then in October, I cannot wait for the teaching series that we are going to do in October. I almost don't even want to tell you what it is, because I just want to keep it a surprise. But you'll hear more about that next month. And a lot of our ministry programming for the fall starts next month and into October. If, you, if you're looking for a way to get connected, starting next week, you're going to find a lot of opportunities that you'll be exposed to. But let me ask, how many of you are ready to study God's Word today? <laughs> Amen. Go ahead and grab your Bible. Find Matthew chapter 6. You also should have received a note-taking guide when you came in. If you did not receive one of those, would you hold your hand up high and we have people who are ready to bring them to you? Did you, if you didn't get one, excellent. Okay, while you're finding that, getting everything ready so that you can uh, study God's word, while you're finding Matthew, have you heard the story about a miserly old lawyer who was on his deathbed? He was very stingy with his money and he wanted to prove that when you die, you can take it with you. And so he told his wife, here's what I want you to do. Take two pillowcases and stuff them full of cash. Then put them in the attic right over top of my bed. And that way, when I die, I can grab those bags of money on my way up to heaven. And so that's what she did. After he died, she went up into the attic and saw those bags of money still sitting there. She said, that old fool, I know we should have put them in the basement. <laughs> Some of you will get that this afternoon. Last week... We began this study of Matthew chapter 6. These are the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so last week we went through this passage and broke it down into three sections. And we saw how in your notes, if you want to get this down, number one, money promises to make us feel significant. That so much of our identity comes from stuff. 
the, the, the car we drive, the neighborhood we live in, the clothes that we wear, that people look at those things and they evaluate us. And whether we realize it or not, many times we begin to think that what you own determines who you are. But Jesus says that that is a lie. That no matter how much you get, no matter how much people are impressed by, by the life that you seem to have built, even when you get everything you want, it's never enough. Uh, I, I'm a car guy and a, and a motorcycle guy, and so I've had a lot of fun toys over the years because I have a very gracious wife. Uh, but with that, what I have found is that, that, that when I'm not careful, when I start owning too much stuff, soon it starts to own me. Let, let, let me explain what I mean. When you own too much stuff, soon it can start to own you because then I have all this stuff to worry about. I have all this stuff to ensure, all this stuff to take care of, all this stuff to maintain. And here's what I found, that the more I accumulate, the more of a burden it starts to be. And yet we keep buying, we keep spending. Why? Because money makes to us this promise that if I could just have enough, maybe then... I could be happy. But Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, in Luke 12, 15, Jesus said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And so last week we saw how Jesus says, number two, money blinds us to our own greed. When you're blind, it means that something can be right there in front of you, but even though it's right there, you don't see it. And sometimes it is so easy for us to see greed in other people's lives. We see everybody else who is greedy, but it's hard to see it in us. And then last week we talked about how number three, it gives us a false sense of security. Because sometimes we want money to feel significant, but other times we just want it to feel safe. Because we live in a crazy world, don't we? We live in a crazy, out of control world and we have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. And sometimes we think, if I could just have enough, then maybe I would feel safe. But Jesus says that that is a false sense of security. Because we all know people who are poor, they have nothing, and yet they're happy and content. And we can all think of people who are rich, who have everything, and yet they are sad and miserable. And so last week we finished with this statistic from a January issue of USA Today, where a few years back they did a survey among today's college students. And they compared them to the same students from 40 years ago. And in 1969, only 42% of college students wanted to be well off financially. Being wealthy just was not important to them. But today, that number has almost doubled to 78%. Almost 80% today believe that it is important to be well off financially. Then here's where it gets scary. Back in 1969, 85% wanted to develop a meaningful philosophy of life. And today that number has dropped almost in half. Only 48% of today's students actually want to develop a meaningful philosophy of life. How sad is that? That instead of finding the meaning of life, 
Many times we come to believe that, that, that money and success and financial security is in fact the meaning of life. But Jesus says there is a better way. Jesus says, let me show you the difference between fear-driven finances and faith-driven finances. And that's what we find in the very next verse where we left off last week. So in verse 19 to 24, Jesus identified the problem for us last week. Today, we get into what Jesus says is some of the solution. And if you would, could we stand for the reading of God's Word? This is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 33, and I would love, it's a long passage, so go ahead and clear your throat, <clears throat> get ready, we're going to do this out loud together. It's a very long passage, so let's push through. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? and the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Let's pray together. Our heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today seeking your truth, for you have said that your truth is what sets us free. And Lord, we live in a world that is driven by fear in so many areas, but especially as it pertains to this area of finance. Lord, help us to begin to see everything that you have given us through the eyes of faith rather than through the eyes of fear. Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word today. In Jesus' name, and everybody say, amen. amen. You may be seated. Now, there is so much content here in that long passage that we read together. By the way, good job, you got through it. But uh, there is so much content, but what we're going to do is focus in on just the last few lines, because Jesus points out in the end of what we read two things that can help us break the power of money in our lives. And the first thing is, number one, remember that worrying is a pagan thing to do. Now, I would not recommend that you go around calling people pagans, okay? That, is, that does not sound very nice, and it sounds like kind of a harsh word, but really the Bible, whenever the Bible refers to a pagan, it simply means anyone who does not put their trust in the one true God. 
So it's not meant to be a, a derogatory or an insulting term. It's just anyone who has not put God first in their life. And so look at verse 32. Jesus says, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. In other words, Jesus is saying that there needs to be a difference between how we live our lives and how people who are not Christians live their lives. And in every area of our life, that is true. But especially when it comes to this area that Jesus is talking about in this passage of Scripture, when it comes to our finances, that the way that we look at debt, the way that we look at spending, the way that we look at, at giving, the way that we look at investing should have a different approach from our family members, from our coworkers, from our fellow students, that there should be a difference. And I think Jesus is even implying that sometimes Christians actually live like financial atheists. That we come to church, we say all the right things, but when it comes to this particular area of our life, we live as if there is no God, and it all depends upon us. And here's the key. If we keep doing the same things that we have always done before, we'll keep getting the same results that we've always gotten before. But if we want to experience and receive an unusual blessing from God, sometimes we have to begin to do some unusual things. I remember in the early days of our marriage uh, that Tracy and I, I mean, we could not scrape two nickels together. We had uh, nothing, and the very first job uh, that I took right out of college when we were newlyweds, uh, there was a miscommunication in what the salary uh, was going to be, and I ended up making, like in terms of take-home pay, like twelve dollars or $13,000 less than what I thought it was going to be, and we had uh, taken out a loan on a, on a cheap little car, uh, but you know, to have something to drive, and, and we were just like up to our eyeballs. There was no margin whatsoever. And yet, even then, Tracy and I had always made the decision to put God first, that we always gave at least 10% of our income to God's work in the world. And, and God has always challenged us to give more than that as well, to faith promise for missions and other needs that we would become aware of. And so even when we could hardly pay our bills, that we've always put God first. And some years, uh, we have given as much as 20% of our income. And that, that is scary. Let me tell you, there are years when that was incredibly scary. But we have always found that God miraculously provides for those who live by faith. And I remember one year when uh, we got a tax return unexpectedly. We were living in the States, and uh, a lot of times, you know, when you pay in your taxes in the States, that at the end of the year, a lot of times people look forward to their tax return. And we didn't expect to get a lot back, and we were surprised that year we got $1,000 back. And it was like we had won the lottery. We were so excited. I mean, $1,000 to us, that was like a million dollars back then. And, and that money, let me tell you, that $1,000 was burning a hole in my wallet. I mean, I just, there were so many good things that you can spend it on. There were so many things that we could do. And it was so tempting. But guess what? I have a very wise wife. <laughs> and so we didn't spend it. We saved it. And the very next week, guess what happened? Our car broke down. 
We took our car into the mechanic. The mechanic says, oh, I'm sorry, it's going to require this part and the bill is going to be somewhat expensive. How much was it? $1,000. And I hated writing that check. We had it for one week and then it was gone. But here's the amazing thing. If that had happened two weeks prior, it would have put us into debt. We wouldn't have been able to pay it. And Tracy said, Joel, God knew what we would need right when we needed it, that we have been faithful to God and he demonstrates his faithfulness to us. And we could tell you story after story. Uh, even this morning, somebody was just after prayer in the prayer hall out here in the North Hallway uh, said, you know, when we started talking about this last week, they said it just flooded back all of these memories of decades ago when we first took that step and, and started tithing. In fact, just this morning during worship, this came to mind. I don't know if I was supposed to share this or not. I was not planning on sharing this. I've never shared what I'm about to share with you in public, which always makes Tracy nervous when I start heading down this path. Uh, but, uh, but just as we were in worship, this, this thought came to mind of something that happened that we, we've never told anybody about publicly back in February, that uh, I, I had a motorcycle that I had been trying to sell for almost a year. And, uh, and it was just like nobody had even come to see it. And uh, it was worth about $5,000. And in February of this year, we, we actually went out for Valentine's Day to lunch. And at the end of lunch, uh, I said to Tracy, well, no, I guess I didn't even tell her that day. I had asked her permission the week before. I think it's possible that maybe God wants me to give my motorcycle away. $5,000, that's a lot to give away. Because there was somebody in particular who, uh, a, a dad who had five kids, was trying to go back to school to study for ministry. I mean, just a, an amazing story of faith. And they only had one vehicle for their family of five. And, the, and, their, and he, had, he had wrecked his motorcycle, had... Uh, needed a means of transportation. Insurance had not paid enough for him to be able to replace it, or maybe he didn't have insurance. I don't remember exactly what. Again, I wasn't planning on telling this story, so I, I haven't really thought about this in months. And, uh, and I, I left lunch that day, and it was like on Valentine's Day back in February, it was like I, I was driving back to the office, and it, it was like God said, today is the day. And so I Facebook messaged this guy and I said, do you have a minute to talk? And he said, yeah, sure. And so I called him up right away and I said, what would you say if I told you that God told me to give you my motorcycle? And he was just in shock. He didn't, I mean, he, he really only talked for a few seconds. He was like, uh, oh, okay. And, and he ended up coming in, uh, and getting it a, a few weeks later. And, uh, and I remember saying to Tracy, I remember saying, God is going to bless us so good for this. Like, I can't even wait to see how God is going to return this to us, because he's that kind of God. I mean, like, we give him away $5,000, you know, we give away $5,000 to somebody in need, and I, and I bet he's just going to return it to us. You, you just wait. You just wait and see. It's going to be so cool. And Tracy has even more than faith than I do when it comes to these things. And so, uh, so she was believing that. And, uh, but what's funny is the next week, we got a tax bill. 
and uh, we owed thousands of dollars on our taxes. And then we found out there was repair, another, and all of a sudden, instead of uh, us giving away $5,000 and getting it back from God immediately in return, uh, it seemed like we, we gave and then our finances hurt even more afterwards. And I didn't understand, God, what are you doing? What, I, I, what are you doing? Well, little did we know that just a few weeks to, well, I guess about a month later, that I would be standing right here on this stage uh, being able to, uh, to, to consider possibly coming here to be the pastor. And, uh, and so we, we went back on March 19th, we went back, got our house ready to sell, put our house on the market. And so this is a month and a half now after uh, I had, we had given that away. And we put our house on the market. And we got an offer within 24 hours. We got another offer within 48 hours. And both offers were exactly $5,000 more than we had put our house on the market for. Offers above asking price, $5,000. Folks, that's the kind of God that we serve. You know what's interesting, though, is if we had lived safe and comfortable, if we had not only just not given when he challenged us to give, but if we had not taken the radical, uncomfortable step of coming here to this church and totally upending our lives, our house would have never been for sale on the market, and God may not have had the opportunity if we didn't take those steps of radical faith to return it to us. But folks, that's the kind of God that we serve. And around this room, I know there's story after story after story after story that we could just have people for the rest of the day come up and in five minute segments tell their stories about how God has done miracles in their lives when they have stepped out in faith. And folks, people who aren't Christians don't understand this stuff. How many of you who are Christians, your family thinks you're crazy? Like, the way that you handle money. They're like, what are you doing giving all that money away? It doesn't make any sense. And yet, listen, we don't live by the world's economy. We live by God's economy. And that makes all the difference. And so, so here's, here's the question in your notes, application question. Is my approach to money different than a non-Christian's approach? I mean, shouldn't there be a difference between a Christian and someone who is not a Christian in terms of how we approach money? And you wonder, okay, well, maybe there should be a difference. What should that difference be? Well, I'm glad you asked, because Jesus gives the answer in the very next verse. Let's go to verse 33. And so Jesus continues in the very next verse, seek first his kingdom, everybody say his kingdom. His kingdom. And seek first his righteousness, say his righteousness. his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. And so here's what I think Jesus is saying to do. Evaluate, evaluate your finances through kingdom priorities. The stuff that I buy, does it reflect that God is number one in my life? Uh, let's, let's do an application question. 
Let's do an application question. We'll put it on the screen. Does my spending, saving, and reflecting that God is number one in my life? The way that I spend, the way that I save, the way that I give, does it reflect that God is number one in my life? I was thinking about this and, and, and thought about this scenario. I've often heard people say, what would it be like if it was illegal to be a Christian in the country in which we lived? Imagine it became illegal to be a Christian in Canada. We know that that is the case in many places around the world. In fact, last year, in 2016, over 90,000 Christians were killed around the world because of their faith in Jesus. That number was actually lower than the year before. In the year 2015, there were 105,000 Christians who were killed for their faith in Christ. This is according to the Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Cronwell Seminary. And I want you to imagine what it would be like if we lived in an environment like that, where you literally could be arrested and put on trial for being a Christian. Can you imagine what that's like for many people around the world today? Just within the last year as we saw our Christian brothers in Christ in, uh, in Egypt who were murdered for their faith. Could, could we just stop for just a minute realizing that this is a very real thing in our world today? Could, could we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world? Heavenly Father, we just can't even begin to imagine what it must be like to live under that kind of persecution. In North American society, it seems like more and more that people hold it against us that we are Christians. And yet, we have never come to that point where literally to follow Jesus could cost us our very lives. And so, Father, we pray that you would comfort those who are persecuted, that you would bless those who are being afflicted, that you would wrap your arms of love around families who maybe even in this moment are in hiding. Or do we pray your protection? We pray that they would sense our love for them. And God, we pray that their sacrifice would not be in vain. That as has happened for thousands of years, that when Christians are martyred and people see that kind of faith, they're inspired, they're challenged, and many come to Christ because of their sacrifice. May that be true even to this day. In Jesus' name, amen. And so here's the question that I've been asked before, is if you were to be arrested and put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Isn't that an interesting thought? If they did an analysis of your life and the investigators came in and, 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 uh, and said, well, well, can we prove that they're a Christian by the way that they live their lives? Would there be enough evidence to convict you? And in some areas of our life, it might be difficult to come to that conclusion, but it would be fairly easy when it comes to our finances, wouldn't it? Because it's right there in the numbers. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to look and see by our finances, by the choices that we've made, what priorities we have in our lives. Now, I want to stop for just a minute 
And I want, to, I want you to notice something because some people might be saying, oh man, Joel, I hate Sundays like this where the pastor tries to make us feel guilty. And, and, and I, I want you to notice something that never once have I told you what you ought to do. Never once have I said, you better do this, this, and this. Never once have I said, you better give to this church or else. All we've done is look at the words of Jesus, ask some evaluation questions to search our own hearts and our lives, and said, how does what Jesus say stack up with how I live my life? And if you walk out of here today and you don't make any changes, you don't give it a second thought, nobody else is going to know because it's between you and God. You can just keep doing what you've always been doing and keep getting the same results that you've always been getting and if you're satisfied and you think your life is perfect the way that it is, then go for it. But Jesus says, instead, if you want to find the kind of abundant life that the Bible talks about, that is empowered by Christ Jesus, that we can't get into that point in our life, that place of blessing in our life, until we are willing to make some changes. And not just financial changes, in every area of our life. That people say, I, I, just, I just wanna be who I am, God, just bless me exactly as I am. I shouldn't have to change anything. But Matthew 6 says that when I seek first his kingdom, not my kingdom, his kingdom. And when I seek first his righteousness, not my version of righteousness, not what I think should be right, not what the world says is righteousness, but his righteousness, then all these things will be added to my life as well. There's this amazing principle in 2 Corinthians called the principle of sowing and reaping. And the principle of sowing and reaping is very simple. The principle of sowing and reaping simply says that you cannot reap a harvest if you do not first plant some seeds. Imagine a farmer going out into his field and saying, where are the crops? I need to feed my family. Why isn't there any stuff growing? Where are my vegetables? If that farmer had not first gone out and planted some seeds, then the farmer can expect to reap a harvest. And so 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 through 7 says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. For each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Again, we will never try to guilt people into giving around here because giving under compulsion is not the way to blessing. Not under compulsion, but out of a cheerful heart. For God loves a what? A cheerful giver. Why? Because he is a cheerful and generous God. God loves generosity because generosity is the definition of his very heart. And so here's our hope today. We just want to ask, would you be willing to sit down with these questions, sit down with this passage of scripture that we've studied in Matthew and do some evaluation? 
Would you be willing to pray? Maybe even you would lay out your finances with your family. Maybe you would sit down as a family and look at your spending and at your, your saving and at your giving and decide maybe we're going to make some changes. In fact, maybe even some today would make the commitment this week if God leads you to do so according to his word that, that, that maybe you'll even take a step of faith and try for a season the radical discipline of giving 10% of your income to the work of God. Because I think apart from doing what God's word says to do, we can never experience the promises that God says he has for us. And so I just want to ask, I want to ask a radical question. Not what the conclusion will be at the end, what decision you'll come to, that's between you and God. But will you at least have the conversation with God? And if you promise, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a second as a commitment. If you promise that you will sit down with Matthew chapter 6, read through the teaching of Jesus, look at the questions that we've talked about today, and simply pray, God, what would you have me to do? If you're willing to do that right now, this week, you say, I'll do that. I want you to raise your hand as a sign of your commitment just to pray and ask God's direction for your life. Amen. Amen. And so we're going to start with that even just now. As Darlene plays, I'm just going to walk off uh, to the side here and, and just allow you to have a conversation with God. Even now, would you begin that meditation and asking God what he might want for you to do. And so we're going to give you a few quiet moments. Moments for you to pray and surrender yourself to God.